It's Wednesday, March 1st. Today's WBFO brief was recorded around 8.30 in the morning. This is WBFO News. Here's Jay Moran. Erie County Comptroller Kevin Hardwick is calling on state officials to investigate operations at Buffalo's Forest Lawn Cemetery. Noting the cemetery is a nonprofit with quote-unquote little or no accountability, Hardwick sent a letter of concern to the Attorney General and the State Cemetery Board. The Comptroller is referencing reporting from the Buffalo News over alleged mistreatment of employees, undermining unionized groundskeepers, and paying out hundreds of thousands of dollars to a company owned by family members of the cemetery's acting president. In a statement, the Forest Lawn Board says it is, quote, confident that all appropriate procedures were followed. New York State has a new interim budget director who is already familiar with the job. Governor Kathy Hochul has appointed Robert Megna, who served as state budget director from 2009 to 2015. He takes over the post immediately on loan from his job as president of the Rockefeller Institute of Government and senior advisor to the chancellor of the State University of New York. Megna will serve through the current state legislative session and assist in the search for a full-time state budget director. And Republicans on Capitol Hill have formed a new caucus to focus on immigration, crime, and national security at the Canada U.S. border. Representative Mike Kelly from Pennsylvania and Montana Congressman Ryan Zinke have enlisted 26 fellow members of Congress for a new coalition called the Northern Border Security Caucus. A New York State trooper is recovering from injuries suffered when his parked patrol car was struck on the thruway. Trooper Kevin Jobity was taken to ECMC for treatment of non-life-threatening injuries and released following the Monday night incident. He was assisting the driver of a broken-down vehicle on the westbound thruway between Pembroke and Depew during a heavy snow event at the time of the crash. The driver was issued tickets for a number of violations, including failure to follow the state's move-over law. The 34-year-old former Girl Scout leader from North Tonawanda was sentenced in state Supreme Court to 15 years in prison and will be required to register as a sex offender upon his prison release. Marty Walton pleaded guilty in August to three felonies, including one count of criminal sexual act and two counts of sexual abuse. He'd been accused of engaging in sexual conduct with two children in the town of Amherst in 2020. And an 18-year-old Jamestown man faces a charge of second-degree murder in connection with a shooting death in the town of Ellicott. Tucker Richard was indicted in Chautauqua County Court for killing 57-year-old Scott Blake on January 6th. Richard is currently being held in lieu of bail and is due back in court for a discovery conference on March 31st. The indictment resulted from a joint investigation by the Ellicott Police Department, the Chautauqua County Forensic Investigation Team, and the New York State Police. Well, it's too cold for farmers to grow fresh produce in Buffalo in winter, but at Feedmore Western New York, the Food Bank has found a way to bring food to residents of Buffalo's east side and beyond year-round, regardless of the weather. As WBFO's Dave Debo reports, it's an idea that is likely to sprout elsewhere. It's cold in the 20s. Ice crunches beneath our feet as we walk across the Feedmore parking lot to a multicolored shipping container. Not the kind of day where you'd picture heads of lettuce growing in a traditional farm space, but this container isn't a traditional farm. Trying to defrost it today. Alex Schmittendorf is the farm manager as we step up some wooden steps into the container. The warmth inside is noticeable, and the air is wet with the smell of, well, dirt, actually. Uh, It's all lettuce for right now. That's a red butter lettuce and then romaine on the end. So we've got some 
here that are probably closer to that eight-week mark that are ready to harvest next week. Feedmore is growing lettuce and other greens hydroponically with water and nutrients instead of soil in the dead of winter and year-round. Experimenting with some beets on, on the end. The container farm supplies fresh produce that Feedmore uses in their farmer's markets, in oasis in the food deserts, on Buffalo's east side and elsewhere. We know that a lot of people have difficulty accessing fresh fruits and vegetables, so by having these produce items available on our farm market trucks, we can help improve food access throughout western New York. Catherine Schick is Feedmore's communications manager. Because it allows us to grow fresh fruits and vegetables year-round, it really lets us focus especially on that fragile types of produce, those lettuces, those kale. One of the most requested items is our curly kale at the moment. Um, we like to not only distribute the kale but also provide recipes on ways you can prepare it. In the past they've set up at places like Westminster Commons on the east side about a half an hour walk from the nearest grocery store which in this case is the top shooting scene on Jefferson. One of the market's patrons talked about it earlier this year with the hosts from Marketplace. If this farmer's market wasn't here, how would you get fresh fruit and produce? I have to wait until I go to the, the grocery store. But it's tough to do, right? Because you got a walker, you have oh, yeah. to carry bags. Feedmore is not alone either. By one estimate, there are more than 2,000 vertical farms in the United States, and it's expected to become a $30 billion industry by 2030. We've been looking at this space since 2009. Rita Hubbard-Robinson has dreams of a food hub on Delavan Avenue in the old Hudai manufacturing plant. She wants to include a farmer's market and a similar, larger hydroponics facility sometime next year. Start with hydroponics and we, we would fold in an aquaculture for aquaponics over time and we will be able to grow lots of lots of food. How much produce? Back at Feedmore's vertical container farm, Schmittendorf says one shipping container can grow a lot of lettuce, popping their heads out of panels like some sort of flowered wallpaper. It's the equivalent of two to four acres. Probably harvested 75 heads um, the past couple days for this week um, to get out on the trucks, and it's probably at least that ready, ready to go next week. Part of why they can do so much in so little space is the way this is structured. Seedlings do start out in peat moss on a small shelf. That's where the dirt smell comes in. But after that, they go into vertical wicking strips of plastic with lettuce heads blossoming out of each one from floor to ceiling. You walk sort of towards the back of the, the container here, a total of 85 individual panels, walls of LED, LED lights. Demand is strong. Schick says they have a second container that is operational, ready to grow another two to five acres, sometimes after planting. Robinson, meanwhile, is awaiting city money that comes when she's selected to develop that site. Dave Debo, WBFO News. And I'll look for some pictures and videos of the Feedmore Hydroponic Farm at WBFO.org. And for more about Rita Hubbard's Robinson's Farm Hub plan for East Elephant Avenue, be sure and listen when she gives a tour and talks about food insecurity coming up at 10 o'clock today on Buffalo What's Next on WBFO. Well, the state's joint legislative fiscal committees will hold a hearing Later today on the portion of the governor's budget plan that concerns New York's workforce. The hearing will address Hochul's proposal to link the New York minimum wage to the inflation rate. 
WBFO Albany correspondent Karen DeWitt reports. Hochul's plan would permanently index the minimum wage to the yearly rate of inflation. It would begin with a minimum wage of $15 an hour. That's the rate in New York City and for fast food workers statewide. Advocates, including many of the state's major labor unions and anti-poverty groups, say that starting wage is seriously inadequate, though. They say it won't meet the needs of workers who are struggling to pay for necessities and who are crushed by skyrocketing prices. Paul Son of the National Employment Law Project says the minimum wage should first be gradually increased to $21.25 an hour between now and 2027. That's the level that the $15 wage would have reached by then if it had kept up with inflation and worker productivity growth since it hit the $15 level back in 2019. San says under Hochul's proposal, the current $15 minimum wage indexed to inflation would rise by just 40 cents an hour, or about $13 a week for a full-time job. $13 is barely enough to buy you a sandwich in New York, and it's far too little for a, to make a dent in the spiraling costs family are facing. Elisa Nam, a part-time worker for UPS, says she's considered an essential worker who helped keep things running during the pandemic. She says she was born in New York City, loves it, and wants to stay. But it's one of the most expensive cities in the world, and she works two jobs just to survive. Gas has gone up. Food has gone up. Rent has gone up. Tuition has gone up. Daycare has gone up. The MTA is about to raise the fare but wages have stayed the same. That's really unsustainable. Senator Jessica Ramos sponsors the bill to phase in the $21.25 minimum wage and then adjust it to the rate of inflation each year. She says because of inflation, the $15 hourly wage is really worth closer to $12 an hour. Further than that, the state should not be in the business of codifying poverty wages. We've done tremendous work to actually start tackling uh, the grave inequality that we live in here in New York State. We're very few, specifically 120 billionaires, and the rest of us have a great disparity in wealth between us. Advocates say there's another flaw in the governor's plan. The yearly annual increase for inflation would be capped at 3 percent, even if inflation is higher than that. The U.S. Department of Labor reports that inflation from January 2022 to January 2023 was 6.4 percent. Michael Kink with the Strong Economy for All Coalition says there's momentum in the Democratic-led state assembly and Senate to adopt the higher minimum wage proposal. He says the measure to begin adjusting for inflation at $21.25 an hour has gained multiple sponsors, including the chairs of the labor committees in both houses. We feel really good about the array of sponsors. There are conservative Democrats, there are moderate Democrats. Kink hopes to see the proposal included in the Senate and Assembly budget plans due out in mid-March. The state's business leaders, including the Business Council, prefer Hochul's plan, which starts at $15 an hour. In Albany, I'm Karen DeWitt. Rachel Kent has spent the last 18 years of her life as an educator in the city of Buffalo, beginning as a special education teacher. She currently teaches at the International Preparatory School on Buffalo's West Side. And inside the school, Kent founded Good Deed Grocery, which addresses food equity and access by providing students with free groceries. Rachel Kent spoke more about the initiative and her career 
with WBFO's Angelie Preston. What led you to a path in education? I was one of those kids who always loved school. I was the one who during summer break was making worksheets for her dolls and like making her little brother sit at desks. And I don't know, I always just really loved learning. And I was really, I guess, thankful to have had a lot of really great teachers who made learning exciting and made the classroom a really comfortable place for me. As I journeyed through college, it was some of those relationships and reflecting back on the teachers who meant a lot to me that I said, okay, well, maybe I can go back and change the way the experience is for some students. Like, what is your teaching style? How do you connect with your students? Um, I like to say I take a human first approach, uh, especially after the pandemic now with so many changes and students, you know, they were they were whole independent adults for essentially for two years at home. They got to make their own decisions and go to the bathroom when they wanted and have those snacks. Um, so I really try to connect with students on a human level. I call up my students' friends. I tell them that I love them. And, you know, I try to address any issues any day by just checking in with every student. So I really just want the kids who are in my classroom to feel like they're welcomed no matter how they're feeling that day and no matter where they are in their life, we're going to do something positive to move forward. Do you ever get feedback from parents or guardians or uh, or colleagues or even students themselves? I do. I feel like in my school where I work, International Preparatory, it's an incredibly supportive community where all of the adults in the building go above and beyond in their own ways. So for some of the people I work with to kind of make a comment to me about me going above and beyond, I'm like, you know, overwhelmed at that point because I know so many people are coaching and youth men mentors and they're doing their own free libraries on the side. Um, And I definitely have received very kind words from parents and students. You know, I feel as though kind of being open and working with students on a really essential project like building the Good Deed Grocery, which addresses the food equity issues and food access issues, we really built a trust because those same students who were building that store sometimes shop at that store and knew how essential the work is that we were doing. You mentioned Good Deed Grocery. Talk about how, like, how how did that start? I had heard of a school that had a free grocery store for the students where they could come and get whatever they needed. Um, and, you know, for free, take it home. And it seemed like one of the best ideas I've ever heard of. Because if a kid is in need, they're always in school, hopefully. So what better place to get them those things they need? And it was really a student-driven initiative. We started with a um, hygiene product drive that was mostly contributed to just by staff members. We came up with the idea kind of officially in December of last year, and we were a fully open and functioning grocery store by March. But about 200 students took roles in creating the grocery store and making it work and, um, you know, fulfilling orders that we had a confidential order system online that students loved working there and 
loved it so much that we ended up putting together a, a package about what we did and the students won a national leadership award they won second place in the lead for change challenge and also received commendations from the mayor's office here in buffalo because we ended up distributing over eight tons of food between march and the end of the school year you mentioned uh, when you were in school uh, that you were labeled as, as, as like a nerd because you like to learn. Now, as you're an adult and a, a fantastic woman, what would you say to that young girl that was labeled a nerd and just loved learning? What What would you say to her now? You're going to make me tear up here. This is a, <laughs> that's a good question. But um, I would have to say you don't have to change who you are for anyone, period. End of story. That is Buffalo educator Rachel Kent in conversation this morning with WBFO's Angelie Preston. While 2023 marks the 50th anniversary of hip-hop, it is still a male-dominated genre. Even though women who rap may not be on the radio as much as their male counterparts, there are plenty of talented women who are making hip-hop music. WBFO's Holly Kirkpatrick spoke with one such artist from Buffalo. AI the Anomaly is a rapper, hip-hop artist, educator, and creative. She was born and raised on Buffalo's east side and wants everyone to know it. The east side of Buffalo gets a bad rep, and there's so much negativity that is talked about surrounding this side of the city, but that's the side that I grew up on. And yes, it, it can be tough and difficult, and yet I I am the rose that, you know, pushed through the concrete. And so I w- always want to, like, shout that from the top of my lungs. Who that little lady from the east side? A-I-D anomaly. Who that little lady from the east side? A-I am going all in, all in. Who that little lady from the east side? 716, Nickel City, where I come from. Who that little lady from the east side? Real name Itina Fareed Cook, AI started writing lyrics at a young age as an emotional outlet. She tells me that in childhood, she was diagnosed as, quote, emotionally handicapped. She lost her biological mother to substance abuse when she was just three years old. Her 2017 album, Sever Threads, processes some of those childhood experiences. So I grew up in a situation in which my biological mother left me, my sister, and my brother uh, by ourselves. I was about 14 months old. Uh, she she left us for about three days, is the story that I was told. Uh, when she was found, she was locked up, and we were placed in a foster care. Mama in the mirror, I resemble all your figures. I was young, I remember. I hate that you wasn't living. Addiction ain't got no limits. I wish that I was your drug. Wish that I was your... And I want the warmth of your hug. Wish that I could remember, but they be telling me stories. What is true? What is not? Who are you? Who am I? Identity, I am blind. I'm living just past AI and her siblings were adopted by their foster mother, who encouraged her to be creative, and AI found photography, art, and music. Her endeavours in the latter have taken her all over the country, performing songs from her four studio albums. It's very embarrassing and cringy. I don't like it at all. Uh, nah, it's, it's cool. Isaac is AI's 15-year-old son. This is, this is me being a... Uh... A teenage boy and my mom seeing my mom jump around the stage and I, I think it's cool. I think it's a, a real cool and dope experience to see my mom being passionate about 
like all the things she loves to do. It's inspiring. Yeah, it is. It's real cool. So you come from, oh, she's so cringe to, she's an inspiration. Yeah, I mean, I just like trolling her. I like, I like trolling my mom. AI also has a six-year-old daughter, and she says that her perspective as a wife, mother, and woman are inevitably centred in her work. Her Christian faith also shines through in her lyrics, but women rapping on these kinds of themes haven't yet broken through to the mainstream. Woman, pack light and keep your faith right. God first when we aim. It don't matter what the daylight. So why don't we see more female rappers like you in the mainstream, in your opinion? I think that there's an ideology that it can, it doesn't work. And this, this overarching feeling that sex, drugs, and power, and money, and all of those things sell better than talking about just regular life and struggles and things like that. It's really a choice. It's really what you choose to do and how you choose to showcase. Instead, she defines her success by the impact she can have through her music. Her son is already helping to produce her albums and has his own music and art projects on the go. And reactions from audience members after her shows particularly spur her creativity. When people come up and they've heard things that I've said, the stories that I've shared, they begin to start opening up and letting me know, like, I've gone through that too. This has encouraged me. I think that part is the best part because it solidifies the work that I'm doing. From the floor to ceiling, these colors fill up my whole life. She might be that little lady from the east side, but don't underestimate the massive talent of AI the Anomaly. I coat the canvas with these colors. Holly Kirkpatrick, WBFO News. Be sure to like or subscribe so you can help others find this podcast. And if you love it, by all means, leave a review too. The WBFO Brief Podcast and the award-winning journalism of WBFO's news team is made possible by members. Thanks for listening.